0: Bhadram <speaking in> karne bhishnu yama deva Bhadram paśye mākṣabhīrya jatrāha Sthirai rangai tuṣṭu vāguṁ sastanubhihi Vyase ma devahitai yadāyuhu Svastina <speaking> indro vriddha <the> śrāvāha Svastina pūṣā viṣvavidāha Svastina stārkṣo arishtanemihi <language> brihaspatir haspatirdadhatu Om shanti 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 Om, O gods, may we hear auspicious words with our ears While engaged in sacrifices May we see auspicious things with our eyes While praising the gods with steady limbs May we enjoy a life that is beneficial to the gods May Indra of ancient fame be auspicious to us May the all-knowing Pusha God of the earth, be propitious to us. May Garuda, the destroyer of evil, be well disposed towards us. May Brihaspati ensure our welfare. Om, peace, peace, peace. So in this section of the Mundaka Upanishad, which we were seeing, there is a recapitulation of the method of um. Of, um Jnana Yoga, the way of knowledge of Vedanta. And then it will be followed by practices which will help us to attain enlightenment. And finally, the results of enlightenment. So this is the outline. The bulk of the teachings, the main thrust of the teachings have already been given in the earlier sections. However, here there is a recapitulation of that presented in another way. The teaching has been presented in a different way and this way is very famous, the way of the two birds. So, the body is a tree, and on which there are two, like two birds sitting on a tree. There is the uh, there is God and the human, the divine and the human. So, there is um, pure consciousness, the witness consciousness, and the jiva. This lower bird is engaged in experiencing the fruits on the tree the sweet and bitter fruits. And then when it gets a shock, it looks up and sees the radiant higher bird, which is just there sitting and and watching and not eating of the fruits of the tree. And of course, this is the reference to our experiences, the fruits of karma, which we have done in this and past lives. And we are experiencing the pleasant and unpleasant results of what we have done. And in doing so, we generate fresh karma, which will give rise to future fruits also. Now, um, when the lower bird becomes aware of the higher bird and thinks that's so majestic, so peaceful, so fulfilled, um, can I become like that? And starts approaching the higher bird. Then it gets distracted again by some other fruits. And uh, going on in this way, finally it gets a big shock, eats a particularly bitter fruit maybe, and then makes a steady movement towards the higher bird. As it approaches the higher bird, the radiance of the higher bird engulfs it and suddenly it realizes there was always the higher bird all along. There was no lower bird at all. So The whole thing was a process of spiritual evolution. That our real nature is the only one that exists. It seems to be this limited being uh, going through life and experiencing everything. Until we realize what we truly are. And then, you know, that saying is there. Um, uh, you do not get, the, the person does not get freedom. But you get freedom from the person. The person is the lower bird. And the higher bird is always free, and it is our real nature. In another way, Sri Ramakrishna used to say, pointing towards his own body Here there are two there's the mother and there's the child. There is God and the devotee of God. Here there are two. It's an echo of the uh, Upanishadic simile of the two birds, actually. Then, after this was completed, we came to mantra number four. That's where we stopped last time. Mantra number four says, the nature of the realization. What, what is realized? The nature of non-dual realization. So, the ultimate reality, Paramatma, the Supreme Self, is realized, and as you know, you realize it as Satchidan and the I am existence consciousness place. I am that. At the same time, sarva bhute vibhati, that itself shines as everything here. See, this is non-duality. Realizing that I am the witness consciousness beyond body and mind, that's step one. But that's not non-duality. That's still separation. Non-duality is oneness, not two. When you realize that one consciousness alone is all of this, the entire universe is one with us, So sarva Bhutir vibhati, it blazes forth, vibhati shines variously in all these other human beings and other living beings and indeed even the non-living universe. All of it is that same paramatma, that same prana. Here the word prana is used to indicate the paramatma, the ultimate reality. You realize that. Vidwan, the one who realises, Vijayanan, who knows this. Knows this means in reality, not theoretically, not as a speculation. Bhavate vadi. very interesting terminology, does not become or stops being a tall talker or does not become a tall talker. It's the enlightened one who falls silent, who sees, after all, what will you say? The true nature, Brahman, our real nature, one cannot speak of it whatever one says will be an approximation will be an indication uh, cannot you cannot exactly denote it by language it's beyond language and as far as the world is concerned even there whatever we say is never quite true um, so the enlightened one falls silent i mean not that it's completely silent may may talk if necessary but is no longer interested in Disputations and speculations And uh, lectures And you know are Trying to teach people Not at all Paul silent Atm- And then uh, Some characteristics Atma krida, Atmarati, Completely absorbed in samadhi In the real nature That I am Brahman The ability to withdraw To shut down engagement with the world That's one On the other hand With eyes open Engaging with the world, atma kreda, playing as if playing with, um, with pure consciousness everywhere. It's uh, uh, engagement, seeing the non-dual reality in everybody and everything and engaging with them. Kriyavan, fully active. So it's not a kind of quietism. The Upanishad itself says Kriyavan, fully active, will probably continue to do whatever he was doing. Sri Ramakrishna put it this way, a clerk was once jailed for something he did And then when he was released from jail, um, Sri Ramakrishna asks, so what will the clerk do? Will he dance around like a madman or will he go back to his job? He'll go back to his job, of course. Similarly, you attain enlightenment. Externally, you may still be the same person. Uh, Same person in the sense that you'd be a transformed person, you'd be a saint, but as far as action is concerned, if you were studying, meditating, um, you would continue studying, meditating, teaching maybe, if you were holding a job and looking after a family, or like King Janaka administering a, a kingdom, you still continue to do that. It's not that, now I'm enlightened, I'm going to make a dramatic change in my life. No. You're seeing the same reality here and there. There's this story who about a modern jnani, Nisargadatta Maharaj. So the story I like, when he became enlightened, He used to live in an area which is, I used to think it was a slum in Mumbai, but it's not a slum, but close to a slum and and a very, uh, like a difficult neighborhood. Um, So he thought, why live in this nasty place anymore? Um, I have got it, what I, you know, what one needs to realize in human life, I've got it. And so let me go to the Himalayas and live the rest of my life in the mountains. He started and then he stopped. He thought, what am I doing? What is it that I'll find there in the lofty, noble Himalayas? And which is not here in this crowded, polluted, noisy place. It's the same reality everywhere. And so he stayed, stayed put exactly where he was. He had a little shop uh, where he sold homemade cigarettes, it seems. And BDs, bidi. <laughs> and uh, he stayed in that uh, same place the rest of his life. This is a sign of a gyani. Makes no external change. kriyaavan continues to be engaged in action. Even spiritual practices, meditation, silence, um, maybe even ritualistic worship. After enlightenment, a person, the enlightened one, may continue to do that. However, internally, there will be a difference. Earlier, we were all doing it in order to attain, attain enlightenment, in order to attain jnana, knowledge. However, after enlightenment... The person continues to do that as a manifestation of his enlightenment, not in order to do it, not as a practice for getting something. There is a beautiful story of Swami Jagadananda, who was long before my time, I never saw him. He was a disciple of Mashaarada. You know, there is this book, Sri Ramakrishna the Great Master. The Bengali is Sri Sri Ramakrishna Leela Prasanga. It's a very authentic biography of Sri Ramakrishna written by Swami Saradananda. So, Nowadays, of course, there is a very lucid tra- English translation made by Swami Chetan which is available. Everybody reads that. But before that, there was another English translation, a little bit old, archaic kind of, you know, old British English. Uh, that translation was made by Swami Jagadananda. Uh, so that Swami Jagadananda, who, who was regarded in his lifetime as a Brahma as a knower of Brahman, an enlightened person. So there's this very cute little anecdote I heard about him. In his old age, he used to live in our ashram. There's a place called Dehradun in India. So near Dehradun, there's a uh, suburbs of Dehradun. There's a place called Kishanpur. I hear now it's all part of the same city now. The city has become bigger. So he used to live in that ashram. It was a small and beautiful ashram. I've been there. So And what he would do is, one of the things he would do in his old age, um, he would go and collect flowers from the garden for the daily worship of Sri Ramakrishna in the temple. Now, that's something which we as novices would do. You know, the brahmacharis who are newcomers or volunteers, devotees, we would arrange for the puja. Um, why would such a senior swami and so revered and, you know, everybody reveres him and people that speak in harsh tones about him being an enlightened person. Why does he do the simplest of things? Like, uh, you know, collecting flowers for the daily worship. So one day, a novice couldn't, a brahmachari, a newcomer, he couldn't contain his curiosity, and he asked the Swami, Swami, why do you do this, you know, bring flowers for the daily worship? So it seems the Swami just smiled. It, it, it seems uh, he had this most wonderful smile. He was a very toweringly tall man and thin and fair. And he looked down at the brahmachari and smiled, and he said, then you tell me what i should do in bengali he said tawle tumi bolo ami a very sweet reply it was not a put down it's indicating something the brahmachari has in his mind the novice has in his mind such a revered great vedantic swami probably the thing for him to do would be to you know study the upanishads and teach the upanishads and sit and meditate all day all day long why do such a, pre- a very preliminary Little um, ritual like collecting flowers. Not even the puja in the temple. Collecting flowers for the puja in the temple. But from his perspective, it is all the same. Every activity uh, he does is uh, irradiated with the presence of the non-dual divinity by one non-dual uh, Brahman or pure consciousness. So, Kriyavan, fully engaged in action. Brahma Vidam varishtha such a one is the best or the highest among the knowers of brahman so among the knowers of brahman also there is a categorization i may explained it last time that depending on the degree of absorption uh, in in brahman but here it is the one who expresses its realization to the fullest possible uh, extent fully satisfied in brahman in the atman or by himself not needing the company of others, not needing engagement completely, not even needing the body. I had seen a monk um, who was paralyzed, both legs paralyzed and his eyes, he was blind. And one of the happiest, uh, most alive persons I have seen, amazing person, never without a word of good cheer for everybody around, he couldn't see them. You would have to go and identify yourself, say that I am so and so. He was a very senior monk. He was a disciple of Swami Vijayananandaji. So I saw him uh, in the main monastery at Belur and in the hospital when he was ill. Um, I mean, he taught me what is bodilessness. In that broken, sick body, not one complaint, not even one acknowledgement that it's, it's a problem to him. It isn't. And he's always there to encourage and even scold us and... You know, uh, hurry us along you know, on the spiritual path. i uh, It's astonishing. We have it so much better, and we are full of care and complaint and <laughs> grudging and gum- grumbling. And this person uh, with a broken body at the fag end of his life, this old old monk, uh, in one sense, there is, doesn't have any relatives, any property, nobody... Not famous, nobody to look after him, and he is extremely happy. I'll tell you one story about him. Uh, this this Swami, I forget his sannyas name. Um, once we heard that somebody came and told us, I was a brahmachari in the training center. That that Swami, uh, his japa mala rosary is lost. So now what happened was, since he was blind, there was a boy who took care of him. And uh, he would give him the rosary, the japa mala, to count the beads, to repeat the mantra. And the Swami would lie on the bed and with the rosary on his chest, and he would repeat the mantra. When he was done, that boy would take the um, rosary and put it before the pictures of Sri Ramakrishna, Mahasarada and Swami Vivekananda, and there would be flowers. The flowers would be arranged by that boy. And his duty was every day in the morning he would come and remove the old flowers, throw it in the in the... Ganga in the Ganges and put new flowers. Now you can imagine what happened. So the rosary was kept there under the flowers. And so this boy one day came and picked up the flowers along with the rosary and tossed it in the, in the Ganga. And the rosary had been given to this Swami so many time, so many years ago, decades ago, a lifetime ago by none other than Swami Vigyanananda, the disciple of Sri Ramakrishna and was thrown away into the Ganga. So we rushed, I and one of my masters, a teacher, Swami Jushtanandaji, so we rushed to the uh, place where the old monks were staying. We went into his room. He was, as usual, lying on the bed, eyes closed. And my teacher, he said to this, I was too junior to speak to such a revered monk. I just stood by and listened. My teacher, he said to the Swami that, I am so-and-so and and I've got um, a brahmacharya novice with me. And we heard what happened. Please don't worry. We will get a new rosary for you. And will be purified by none other than the president of the order. I'll come in shortly and give it to you. And the old Swami said, there is no need of that. Its task is done. Now that's a very profound statement. That means the task of repeating the mantra. Why the practice, its purpose has been achieved. It's done. Then he said, if you can, could you get somebody to read out from the Upanishads and the Gita to me? This stuff. For him, reading it out, I am quite sure. It just meant pointing to a reality which was always there, ever available to him, you know. It's just drawing his attention to what he knew. For us, it's speculative or theoretical. For him, it was a fact. So he said, can you get somebody to read to me? And my teacher, the Swami, he said, I'll come myself, Maharaja Swami. I'll come myself and I'll read to you. So this is this person. They are ever engaged, they are the greatest knowers of Brahman. Now the next mantras, five and six, they talk about practices. What is necessary for enlightenment? What are the practices necessary for enlightenment? Let's see. Satyenalabhyas tapasayesha atma, brahmacharyena nityam. Anta sharire jyotir yatayakshina Very beautiful mantra. The bright and pure self within the body that the monks with habitual effort and attenuated blemishes see is attainable through truth, concentration, complete knowledge, and continence practiced constantly. All right. What's said here? Spiritual practices, truth, austerities, um, knowledge, chastity, practice constantly. And uh, so what does it mean? In Vedanta, there are two kinds of practices, inner and outer. Um, Antaranga, Bahiranga, inner and outer. The inner practices are directly related to knowledge, to realization, to enlightenment. The inner practices are the well-known, most familiar to us. Um, Hearing, reasoning, meditation. shavana, manana, nididhyasana. For example, what we are doing now is part of the inner practices. The actual teaching, then you reason it out and then contemplate on the clarity so gained. That's the inner practice. But there are certain necessary um, so-called outer practices, preliminaries, Preparations Necessary practices They may not be sufficient to give you enlightenment But they are necessary Without them enlightenment is not possible And the inner practices The study of Vedanta will not bear fruit Unless those outer practices are held on to What are they? First and foremost Truth Integrity Honesty Truth Shankaracharya gives two definitions One here and one in the next mantra Here he says The negative definition Mrishavadanatyagap giving up false speech, deceit. So at the level of action, at the level of speech, and at the level of thought, giving up all falsity, deceit, falsehood. See, morality and spirituality. It is true that there is a distinction, but one must never forget there is a very tight connection between the two. It, one cannot be spiritual without being moral um, The person who is moral may not be spiritual But w- one thing one has to notice If one sticks, consistently makes a great effort to lead a righteous life That will lead to spirituality But the reverse is not true If one tries to be spiritual without being righteous Without being moral, or ethical uh, Then one cannot be spiritual One cannot have God without being good. One can be good without being particularly interested in God, although the claim is if one makes a huge effort to be good, it's always a struggle. Then one will become spiritual. That is, it will happen. Satya, and the core of it all is truth. What holds it all together is truth. Sri Ramakrishna famously said, the austerities, tapasya, for this age, the age of Kali, this age, our dark age. Material age. He said there is one practice. Which is honesty. Truth. Truth is the one thing to hold on to. There is that um, famous prayer of Sri Ramakrishna. Where he gives everything to the mother. Mother here is thy knowledge and thy ignorance. Knowledge and ignorance he says. Here is thy. Um, uh, here is thy so called purity and impurity. And like this he keeps on giving. Um, but. He says he could, not, he could not say, Mother, here is the truth and thy falsity. No. He says, if I give up the truth, then where will I be? If we are looking for the ultimate reality, which is defined as sat, reality itself, truth itself, then in our day-to-day life, we must hold on to the truth. How can we aim for the ultimate truth of the universe, the ultimate reality here, if we cannot hold on to truth in our Conventional lives, in our daily, in our quotidian lives. So, satya, satyenalabhya. uh, Enlightenment is very clear here. Enlightenment is attained to truth. Then, tapasa, by uh, austerities. There are various kinds of austerities. You know, vigils at night, fasting, um, restricting one's diet, um... Uh, So many kinds of austerities But here Shankaracharya in his commentary He focuses on one And he says austerity The highest austerity, highest tapasya Is a Very broad word in Indian spiritual life Tapasya The highest austerity, highest tapasya Is concentration It's focus It is to pay attention How interesting In this day of distraction, the age of distraction, he says the greatest spiritual practice you can do is to pay attention, is is to focus. Let me read Shankaracharya's comment here, in his commentary. Indriya mana ekagrataya tapasa By the focus of the senses and mind. Don't let your eyes flicker around, seeing this, seeing that. Don't let your ears... Listen to a little bit of this and a little bit of that. We have this problem of um, flickering attention these days. This, and that's due to, partly at least due to this wonderful technology we have, especially the phones and social media and all. We tend to have, um, there's a new phenomenon, it's called the phenomenon of intermittent attention. Intermittent attention. And people everywhere, in boardrooms, in classrooms, people are familiar with it. That it's not that people in, in the job, in the boardroom, in a meeting, are not paying attention. They are paying attention, but only once in a while. It's not that uh, the students in the classroom are not paying attention to the teacher. They are, but only once in a while. I've myself seen this at a place no less than Harvard University. Sometimes I would sit back in big lectures, like big lecture halls, sit at the back. We could look down, and everybody—you can see the kids—they're studying and they're listening to the teacher. They all have their screens open before them. Um, I somehow think this having laptops and phones in the classroom is sometimes more of a nuisance than than a help, actually. Anyway, now what I noticed was interesting—that uh, these kids were pretty serious. They're pretty smart kids. But the work ethic now, or the study ethic now is, you listen to the teacher, and then you look it up on the screen, what the teacher is saying. Maybe you do a little bit of search about what the teacher is saying, and then from that search, go on to something else is not related to the class, and then come back again to what the teacher is saying, and that goes on throughout the one hour class, class, or one and a half hour class. This is in classrooms, this is in um, workplace, everywhere. This is called the phenomenon of intermittent attention this won't do the most valuable commodity that we have is attention the eminent psychologist mihai Csikszentmihalyi, mihai who wrote the book flow his whole life's purpose was to search for the mental states which are um, indicative of the best you know the highest quality life when we are at our most fulfilled um, what maslow had called peak experiences or close to peak experiences, and he called these flow states. And the common characteristic of all flow states, whether it's a tennis player, that's the example he used, or it's a chess player, or it's a person studying, or it's a person uh, painting, whatever we are doing, um, or a surgeon doing surgery, the the common denominator of all these flow states, our peak states, are uh, undivided attention. Undivided attention. Uh, When our attention is focused on a challenging and fulfilling task. All of these are important. A kid might be playing a a video game with undivided attention. But that's not a flow state. Because it's ultimately not fulfilling. It has to be a challenging and fulfilling task. uh, An enriching task. And it should demand our entire attention. Then it's a flow state. And he said, those states are the most valuable states of our life. That's when we are at our happiest, most engaged, most fulfilled, uh, and those states have become increasingly rare and disturbed because, partly because of this, the life that we are leading nowadays, uh, partly because of this technology also. Then, Chankaracharya uh, quotes from the Mahabharata: "Manasas Chandrayaanamcha Paramam Tapaha." Mahabharata says that uh, There's a verse from Mahabharata Which says the highest spiritual practice The highest tapasya Is the focusing of the mind and the senses Is So you focus on something Cut out other distractions And hold that focus Three things mm-hmm. Pay attention Hold that attention And cut out everything else So And this is also there in Manusmriti. This verse Which also says, focus or concentration is the highest spiritual practice. In another place, Shankaracharya, in his book, Upadesha Sahasri, A Thousand Teachings, there he says, uh, the purpose of all spiritual austerities, tapasya, the purpose of all spiritual austerities is to attain this one-pointed focus on spiritual matters. And he explains why, Shankaracharya. He says, tadhi anukulam. Atma paramam sadhanam tapo net, netarat, um, so he says, because it that state of mind, that intensely focused state of mind is most amenable, is the most suitable state of mind for enlightenment to The realization of the self, I am that, the most suitable state of mind is the intensely focused state of mind. The calm, steady, uh, focused state of mind. That is most congenial to the rising of enlightenment. And then he says, not other austerities. Uh, like he gives example of fasting. Chandrayaan is, is a kind of fasting. It's increasing, um, your, uh, decreasing your food intake with the waning of the moon and then increasing it back to normal with the uh, reappearance of the moon. So this is a kind of fasting. Fasting, all kinds of other austerities, those are secondary. They're not bad. They're secondary. The most important thing is this intensely holding on, whether it's your mantra, whether it's Vedantic study, whether it's the self-enquiry, whatever it is, whether it is following your breath, whatever it is, your spiritual practice, focusing on that. Sister Nivedita says about Vivekananda that we did not see him often engaging in any particular spiritual practices other than meditation. But his whole life was of a, such an intensity of, of uh, focus, intensity of concentration on, on the, the highest truth. It, it was a, almost a fearful intensity. You, that is the highest spiritual practice. You don't need anything else. If you're constantly centered on God, that's the highest focus then what else so focus then brahmacharya this is celibacy brahmacharya is the control of the senses in general but particularly celibacy because it is in the uh, sexual act that the mind is most tremendously disturbed nerves and the mind are most tremendously uh, exteriorized and shaken so um, Chastity has been praised in all spiritual traditions everywhere. And of course this depends on context. So there is one kind of set of rules of chastity for monks, monastics. There is another kind for householders. So for householders it might be respecting the the sanctity of marriage. Um, Also Sri Ramakrishna said to his householder devotees, that after the birth of one or two children, live like brother and sister. So there's an importance of celibacy or chastity in spiritual life. And then, so these three, truth, this austerity consisting of, of uh, attention, focus, holding on, keeping your mind on spiritual matters. And third, a chastity. These three, um uh, And these three are exterior. This is the righteousness, the morality, which is foundational for spiritual life. And then he says, Samyajnana, by adequate or complete knowledge. What does this complete knowledge mean? Remember, it's a practice. It can't mean enlightenment. That's what we are looking for. So what, what does this knowledge mean? This is a footnote given by Swami Gambhirananda, where he says, by Samyajnana, adequate knowledge, it is meant to be under. It is understood such immature but adequate knowledge of the meaning of the text, which matures into the knowledge of the thing itself. The mature knowledge, productive of direct perception, does not depend on other factors for bringing about its results, namely the cessation of ignorance. So it is immature knowledge that alone can be combined with such disciplines as truth, etc., for the accusation of mature knowledge. All right, what it basically means is shravana manana nididhyasana this, uh, this complete knowledge samyagyana, it means the knowledge that is acquired by listening to Vedanta teaching, studying the text then reasoning it out for yourself and then dwelling on it and so uh, a clarity will be attained and that deepens into the, the real arising of enlightenment, the realization I am Brahman that that knowledge will remove all ignorance. That does not depend on anything else. Uh, once that clarifying, that uh, enlightenment arises, that breakthrough arises. In technical terms, it's called Kara Vritti, the, the modification of the mind in the form "I am Brahman." That realization comes. The veils drop away, and the clarity and it shines forth undeniably. I am that. That does not depend on any other practice. Once that arises, that will dispel ignorance, and you are free. You realize that you are Brahman. But before that, there is a stage when we are cultivating this knowledge. When we are studying Vedanta, we are reasoning it out, and we are getting some clarity, and dwelling on that clarity, and trying to make it um, effortless and natural for us. All that that stage of knowledge, it requires the support of truth and um, concentration, and uh, chastity, all of those supporting factors are absolutely necessary. Otherwise, this, this knowledge will not arise at all. That's what's meant. Then uh, the mantra says, Nityam, constantly. And Shankaracharya makes a big deal about this constantly. It says, constantly is like a lamp, which is the word constantly is like a lamp which is placed on your doorstep and it illumines. Your uh, the the outside of your room and the inside of your room too. So it illumines both ways. What it means is this word nityam. It uh, it should be connected to all the other words there. That means nityam nityena. That means constant practice of truth. You can't say I am truthful. Only occasionally I tell a few lies. Then that's not the truth that's being referred to here. It's a constant attempt to hold on to the truth. Um, and that will lead to struggle and that will lead to, it requires courage and it requires us to maybe accept some sacrifice and loss. You might disappoint some people, you might incur financial or career-wise you know, losses or blows. It might happen. Mahatma Gandhi, remember, he was a householder. He had children. He had to earn his living. He took up these cases uh, as a lawyer, and he made sure that he only uh, he t- he stuck to the truth as a lawyer, which is very difficult to do. And so, but he made uh, it was a principle, and he was respected for that. But it's also true that he was not a particularly successful lawyer. So <laughs> uh, that much. If you ask him, by his uh, standards, he would consider himself very successful. Because he would see whether he is capable of holding on to the truth or not. If he holds on to the truth, he would think, I am successful. It's not an amount of money he makes or the cases he gets. So, satyena, nityena, that is, constantly uh, holding on to the truth. Then focus, a constant focus on spiritual matters. Your study of Vedanta, your meditation... Uh, you're, uh, you know, it's constantly thinking about that. Swami Nandaji, who's our vice president now, for many years he served a great monk, Swami Premeshananda, who was a disciple of Mahasaratha and was regarded in his lifetime as an enlightened person. So one day Nandaji, just as an as a test, the old Swami was lying in bed, he was ill. So this you know, monk who was very young at that time, he, he said uh, he was a novice. So he said, just as a test, he suddenly asked that old Swami, what are you thinking just now? Just now, what are you thinking? And the Swami immediately said, because he was lying with his eyes closed, uh, he immediately said, without any hesitation, Sarvabhyapi Sri Ramakrishna, all pervading Sri Ramakrishna. Uh, And of course, uh, Saitanji, I think he asked, if I remember correctly, he asked, how can Sri Ramakrishna, because Sri Ramakrishna, we see him in the picture, you know, this man with a beard, sitting uh, in meditation postures, in this picture. How can this man be all pervading? And uh, the old Swami smiled and said, you'll understand in time. But see, at any time you catch this person, right now, what are you thinking about? Right now, tell me right now. And he says, I'm thinking about God. So this constant focus on that reality, you might think it's very boring or very difficult. It might be very boring or difficult for us. For them, it's not. It's where they dwell uh, effortlessly. Um, And then chastity. Uh, It is constant uh, chastity, unbroken chastity. Then what happens if one practices in this way, with this moral foundation of truth, with the austerity of constant focus and unbroken chastity, then what happens? You and you persist in your Vedantic inquiry. Uh, listening, reflecting and meditating. nididhyasa. Then what happens? The next lines. Anta shari jyotirmayo hi shubhra That one, you see the uh, pure illumination, the radiation uh, in, in the in the uh, within this body, uh, the light of, of the self, the self which is pure consciousness. You realize that, young Pashyanti, that which is seen, where is it seen? Shankaracharya here gives his commentary. Antar Antar in the body, in the lotus of the heart. Jyotirmaya, luminous, luminous. Jyotirmaya hi, Varnam, a golden luminosity. Shubraha, um, white radiance, or, 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 or pure, pure radiance actually. Shuddha, yamatmanam. What is that? The self, it's you. It's your real nature as consciousness. See, don't say my consciousness. It's a very strange thing to say, say actually. If you think about it, I am consciousness, I am awareness. Everything else is that which is presented to awareness. If you say my body, yes, the body is presented to awareness. my thoughts, my personality that's presented to awareness. you are this awareness, this consciousness, but which consciousness? it is this um, this radiance, this pure radiance in which there is no materiality, no body, no mind. So that one you realize what do you do you see that? no, you don't see that. you realize that you are that. Who who realizes? He says, "Yataha, yatayaha, the monks, the Oshaha, whose um, impurities have been reduced or uh, who, who have been thinned out. Attenuated is the word that is used. Impurities. One is the vasanas, the accumulated desires and tendencies in our subconscious mind. They have been purified. Also, which lead to the flickering mind, the mind which races here and there. That has been calmed down." So the defects have been um, purified. Defects have been, the mind has been purified. The word for that is chitta shuddhi, purification of the mind. So these monks, their minds have been purified. Their hearts have been purified. In the Bible, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Literally that. So they have become pure of heart. Um, and he says, monks. Now usually Vedanta is monastic. Quite a bit, and Shankaracharya makes it even more so. Even when the original text doesn't mention monks, he will bring in monks. But here he has it easy because the original text does mention monks, Yataya, these monks. So the Mundaka Upanishad, one of the meanings of Mundaka is the shaven head, this one. So the Mundaka Upanishad is often associated with monks. And here you see words like this, Yataya, the monks. But what is meant here is, Sri Ramakrishna used to say, Antore tag, the inner renunciation, the one who holds on to truth, the one who is intensely focused on God or on, on self-realization, and the one who is chaste, that one Sri Ramakrishna would say is a monk, internally. Externally, maybe a householder, maybe in the midst of um, of society, holding a job, um, doing stuff, having a family. But internally, in Bengali, Bhetore Shadu, that is... Uh, a monk internally. And Sri Ramakrishna would say for those who are formerly monks, there would be internal renunciation and external renunciation. But one thing that is not compromised with is this internal renunciation. That's, a, that's absolutely essential. The monk who has renounced externally but not internally is in a disastrous situation. There is a saying among um, people in the north of India. It translates into... You have colored your cloth without coloring your mind, you know, colored your cloth. This, you have colored your cloth the color of uh, ochre, which is the, this ochre is the sign of renunciation. Well, you have colored the cloth, but what a tragedy, oh yogi, you haven't colored your mind. The mind is still worldly. That should not be. First, most important is the inner renunciation. And another meaning of this Yataya is Yatana Shilaha Shankaracharya says Those who are constantly trying None of that I leave it to God No This person would be up and doing If he wanted money If he wanted power, relationships, Facebook likes How much up and doing we are to get the things we want And so if you really honestly desire God You will be up and doing Whether it's Vedanta, whether it's meditation Whether it is an austere life uh, we would be up and doing And so one of the meanings of the word yati uh, Shankaracharya says Yatana shila, Those who are hard at work Those who are constantly making efforts For spiritual realization Sanyasinaha Shankaracharya is very clear here Monks And what are the faults that have been attenuated or Thinned out Kshina krodhadi chitta malaha Their uh, anger and greed and lust and the dirt of the mind has been purified, cleansed. Such people will realize. Realize what? That pure light in the heart, which is their own real nature. Alright, this is the meaning of this particular verse. Mantra. One more quickly and then the second one repeats, re-emphasizes um, something which was said in this Mantra. Fifth mantra, then the sixth mantra re emphasizes the importance of truth. Importance of truth. Number six. Satyame jayate. nan ritam, Satyena pantha vitato devayana, yena kramantya rishayo yaptakama. kama, yatratat satyasya paramam nidhanam. Like a poem to truth, the importance of truth. Truth alone wins and not untruth. But truth is laid the path of the gods by which the desireless seers ascend to where exists the supreme treasure attainable through truth. Inspiring mantra. And here you have it. So this, Every Indian knows it. So this is the national motto of India after the independence of India, after India became a republic in 1950, when the national emblem, Ashoka Tamba, it was adopted as the national emblem of India. On that emblem, it's written, uh, "Satyam Meva jayate." truth alone prevails. And that's taken from this Upanishad. This is the one which has been taken there. So it's the national motto of India. And in fact, all Indian currency, Indian currency bears that "Satyam eva jayate." truth alone prevails. So this Upanishads, they have a lot of, Quotable lines, you know. <laughs> and uh, this is a very famous one. So it comes from this mantra of the Munda Kopanishad. Truth alone prevails, non rhythm, not untruth. Shankaracharya he, uh, comments here Prasiddham Loke satyavadina Vadina Anrita Wadya anritavadi Anrita Vadiya Abhiyate, Nabi Siddham Satyasya Balavat Sadhanatam. It is well known in the world. That it is the truthful man who overcomes the, the liar, the untruthful man. But I'm glad he thinks it's well known. People seem to doubt it all the time. No, but he says it's it's well known. The one armed with truth overcomes the liar, the, the untruthful one. And not the other way around, he says. And therefore, it is established, he says, the Satyasya Balavat Sadhanatvam, um, that truth is the most powerful practice. The most power Of all spiritual practices, truth is the most powerful spiritual practice. The effort, the sacrifice, it um, requires to lead a principled life in this world. Um, that is essential for success everywhere, especially in spiritual life. Even if one is not successful in the world, one is indifferent, uh, success is indifferent in terms of money, or popularity, or politics, or whatever it is, one will be successful in spiritual life and without truth there is no question of being uh, successful in spiritual life and then there is a beautiful sentence vitato devayana the path of the gods is laid out with truth you know what's the concrete what's the um, what's the material out of which the path of the gods is is made it's made of truth Satyenapantha pantha vitato devayana the, the way of the gods Is spread Spread out with truth Who walks on that path I will come to that um, This path of the gods Devayana It could just mean The path of spiritual realization That's in general meaning But there's a technical meaning um, There are these two paths Which one takes after death There is this Pitriyana and Devayana. There is the path of the forefathers. So depending on our past good karma, if one is not a spiritual seeker, depending on our past good karma, we go to one of many heavens, stay there for a long time, come back to this world again, uh, and continue our journey in another human birth. So this is the path of the forefathers. But there is the path of the gods, Devayana, which is, Those who are spiritual seekers, but who have not attained enlightenment in this life, in this birth, they go by this path. They do not go to any of the lower heavens in order to come back to the world. No, they will not come back. This is called krama mukti, sequential liberation. You go from here to the highest heaven, dwell there with God, and attain to full knowledge. So that's the the technical meaning of the path of the gods. You can take it either way. Just the Vedantic path leading to enlightenment and freedom. That's the path of the gods. Or this particular meaning of after death, the person who is not yet enlightened will ascend to higher worlds, to, to the highest heaven, from which there is no return through this path of, the path of the gods. But it's built on truth. What else? Who walks on this? Aptakama those whose desires are fulfilled not that a person who has ordered everything on uh, Amazon Prime and you know maxed out their credit cards and desires are fulfilled no not in that sense who have nothing more to look for in this world uh, have nothing more they have they have understood the limits of um, this human and heavenly pleasures they are not looking for something limited to satisfy themselves they're in fact looking for the unlimited they're looking for um, they're looking for God not for anything worldly and he gives some qualifications and these are some of the qualifications those who are free of deceit multiple words for deceit Maya, this uh, nature of illusory, deceiving others. What do you call it? Putting a spin on things. That is kuhaka. Putting a spin on things. Shatya, crookedness. Ahankara, ego. Dambha, uh, arrogance. Anrita, general falsehood. All of this, one has to be cleansed of all of these. Sri Ramakrishna would sometimes send... People, he said, go and visit Niranjan. See, he would say, see how simple he is. And Sri Ramakrishna valued simplicity, Sharalata. The word um, in Indian language for simplicity is the same thing for straight. Sharal means straight, and Sharal means simple. So simplicity, straightforwardness. Sri Ramakrishna said, in one's last birth, one becomes simple. We, um, you know, sophisticated society does not um does not uh, value simplicity because it thinks its it seems like a it's not cool, it's not it's a lack of uh, sophistication. No, I read this uh, quotation somewhere. he says nothing confounds the clever so much as simplicity. Those who are clever in life, there's one thing that they can't they can handle other clever people. they can handle stupid people, but they can't handle simple people. Nothing confounds the clever so much as simplicity. Remember, these beings, they are are simple, but they are not stupid at all. They are childlike, but they are not childish. And they, in fact, have an intelligence which is profound and deep. In front of them, the rest of us, if we think ourselves worldly-wise and clever, we are more like uh, mischievous grandchildren in in front of a grandfather or or a grandmother who understands us thoroughly. And is indulgent with us. We think the child, grandchild, thinks that he or she is fooling the grandparent. Of course, you are not. <laughs> Grandparents knows you thoroughly, but uh, it just indulgent. It just loving and indulgent, and slowly will guide us towards uh, towards uh, a spiritual realization. So, a variety of things, putting a spin on things, um, what we call today fake news. Uh, uh, kind of illusoriness, showing what one is not. In fact, psychologists say that the greatest amount of psychic energy we all lose in trying to put up a facade, in trying to show others what we would want them to see us at. It's always a failure. And it's exhausting. Then, on this path of the truth, they walk. So the path is truth, and Yatra Satyasya Paramam Nidhanam. Where are they walking to? Where lies the greatest of treasures, which is truth itself. So the goal is truth with a capital T, with a capital R, the real, Atman, Brahman, reality itself. And the way to that goal is, is uh, spread out with truth. He says, the treasure, Satyasya Uttama Sadhanasya. The best spiritual practice, which is truth. And what is the, uh, it's the means, he says. Sadhana is the means. The best means for becoming enlightened is truth. This is the means. Then what is the end? Sambandhi sadhyam. The end related to this means is paramam prakristam nidhanam. It is the greatest treasure of all. Purushar It is present as the goal of human life, the end of all human endeavours, which is moksha, liberation, freedom. It is nidhanam. Therefore, it is a treasure. It's the greatest of treasures that lies at the end of this path. Yeah. So the path to enlightenment is made of truth and enlightenment itself is truth. That's the greatest Uh, treasure. treasure. Yeah. Let's take a look at the comments. Kriya says, would a person be less reactive, more patient after enlightenment in his interactions? Absolutely. One sign of uh, spiritual development is a reduction in reactivity. It takes energy and power to react to something. But it takes much more energy, much more power to hold back. Um, Swami Vivekananda gives the example. The chariot which Krishna is controlling. Uh, Imagine the amount of energy in those charging horses, which will pull the chariot along at a breakneck speed. But imagine the power that's required to hold those charging horses back. That's even more. So to hold back, to be in charge of our reaction, that is a core in yoga, a a, a core ability in yoga. Not to immediately hit back, not to immediately say stuff, not to immediately jump to conclusions, not to immediately do something, but to stop. And then upon proper deliberation, do, say, or think. Think, say and do. Kaima vakya with the three levels. Uh, something that has been in you know, the beautiful words of the Upanishads, purified by thought. When you process it through thought, through wisdom, and then it expressed uh, in language and in action. But that re- requires, first of all, holding back reaction. Sanket says, one pointed focus easier when one is younger. Does that mean enlightenment is only for the young? No. It's not really easier when one is younger. It is easier when the mind is trained. So whether we're young or old, uh, we must make an attempt at training the mind. Do whatever works for you. If a mantra works for you, good. Many people, reading works for them. Some serious reading, especially spiritual reading, it calms down the mind. It is the closest one can get to meditation without actually meditating. Christian monastics had a practice of contemplative reading. So they would take a a passage of scripture and slowly read it through. Um, Maybe loudly at first, in old days, the only kind of reading was reading aloud. They wouldn't read in their mind. And read it through. And read it through. And read it through. And then stay in silence. And again read it through. Swami so Turiyanji says, when he was in the little hut on the bank of the Ganga and the foothills of the Himalayas in Haridwar, he would uh, uh, take up the mantras from the Upanishads. He memorized eight Upanishads there and the verses from the Gita, and he would meditate for hours and days together, all together on, days together on one verse. And he says a flood of, his words, a flood of light would come on the meaning of that verse. So now he says, here, Pashyanti means realization of the infinite consciousness that I am. Then why is he described as golden light in, in the heart? Just symbolic of light of consciousness? Yes. But remember, um, because the earlier description was of the golden-hued bird. The higher bird is of a golden hue. Rukmavarnam. So that is being referred to here. Just just the light of consciousness. Light is used as a metaphor here. Not that it's actually shining with light. But it is it's brighter than all lights because that's the light which reveals all light. Whether a room is lit up or not, how do you know? Only because you are aware. You are the light of lights. Another way of referring to consciousness is jyotira jyoti, light of lights. When John says, in activity there is silent awareness when I check in and attentive to that. yet the attention can move away to get involved in the mind. What is it that allows or moves the attention away from the wholeness or Brahman? Is this just a propensity of the mind? Alright, that's a good question. You know what it is actually. At its root, it's the ignorance which does not appreciate consciousness for what it truly is. I'll repeat that. Consciousness is first and foremost you. It is I. First. Second, consciousness is ever the same. It actually does not get involved with with the mind and the body. It only seems to. From the mind's perspective, here it is. From the mind's perspective... Sometimes the mind appreciates, the mind which is well trained in Vedanta appreciates its innermost n- nature as consciousness. Sometimes it does not. The mind gets busy with the world, and the mind thinks consciousness has become involved with the world. It hasn't. It never has. It's always all right, and therefore you are always all right. Another beautiful way I was reading there was a great Vedantin called Krishnananda, At- Atmananda Menon, Krishna Menon. Atmananda, Krishna Menon in Kerala in the 1950s and 60s. He made two points about feelings and thoughts. This is, this is exactly his language. Language itself is, is very pristine, precise, and meditative. He says Notice how all feelings arise from peace and subside back into peace. Therefore, the real nature of all feelings is peace. Notice how all thoughts arise in awareness and subside back into awareness. Therefore, the real nature of all thoughts is awareness. Whether you are thinking or feeling, always know that your real nature is Awareness, which is peace itself. That last one I paraphrased. He said your real nature is awareness and peace. Even when you are thinking, even when you are feeling. Does that make sense? Then, Sonali says, related to the previous comment, please can you differentiate between attention and awareness? Awareness or consciousness is always there. Chit or Chaitanya. Attention is focused through the mind. Mind and the senses are used, you know, um, it is um, focused on particular objects and you attend to different objects. So attention is like a narrow beam which is sweeping across. But light itself is is uh, akin to awareness. You are aware all the time. But attention is ever-changing. And the control over attention is that practice called focus or concentration. It's very important. Control over attention is very important. Um, Bhargavateja says, as listening to the last before class again, you mentioned different layers of reality in terms of atomic reality and social reality. Or oh, did I? I've forgotten already. Similar to different schools of Vedanta and Swamiji's quote from lower truth to higher truth. All right. Abira says, in your example about the senior monk who lost his Japamala and said, its work is done. Does it indicate Jnana Yoga is superior to Bhakti or can the practices go hand in hand? Practices can go hand in hand for us, but Advaita Vedanta is quite clear. Jnana Yoga comes after uh, Upasana or worship. And so, yes, I never thought of that that way. But the Swami's direct experience seems to indicate the stages. Repetition of a mantra and then the realization of the truth of what the upanishads are saying and the, so for him listening to the upanishads is like pointing cons- constantly to the to a reality which he's already he knows oh there's a quote from saint francis of assisi pure holy simplicity confounds all the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of the flesh yes very beautifully put francis of assisi holy simplicity confounds all the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of the flesh. Bhargava says a complex life might be exciting but very much energy draining. Yes, so that's the very definition of rajas. One should experience it a little bit when you are young and new to the city here, to Manhattan, and you have got a job on Wall Street. Good. Uh, All uh, weekdays you are earning money and weekends you are partying. Not bad, but very quickly see through that. If you're doing that ten years later, there's something wrong with you. You do that for six months, one year, two years, good. (laughs) You've seen what it's like and then quickly move on to something that is more mature. Abhijit says, before enlightenment, yes. (laughs) Chop wood, fetch water. After enlightenment, chop wood, fetch water. Yes, but there's a very big difference. Um, So, as far as spiritual practices are concerned, before enlightenment, those are practices which will take us to enlightenment after the enlightenment um, they are expressions of that enlightenment and of course the enlightenment might be doing it as an what is called loka sangra uh, as an ideal set for the rest of us the path which we have to follow good om shanti 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 hari om Tat sat sri Ram krishna